everybody, this is John Tatey welcoming you back to Pop Mom, the podcast where culture is relative. Yes, it's time again for my mom, Bonnie Tatey, to share her view of pop culture, small town life, and the riddles of human nature. On this episode, we discuss the Wes Anderson short film, The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar. Let's bring mom in now. Hi, mom. Hi, Johnny. How are you? Good. Happy New Year. We're back at it in 2024. Wow. Wow. Uh, yeah. Happy New Year to you. Because well, Christmas your... sure was weird. <laughs> uh, Christmas, well, well, Christmas Day, uh, which we spent in New Hampshire, um, Anna and I flew out with the kids. Christmas Day was pretty good, I think. I they, agree. Kids enjoyed their presents, and uh, we all sat around and ate, and there were no big arguments. Uh, there was a spirited game of celebrity that evening. All was well. Um, we even had a l- nice lunch out the following day. And oh, then that's when right, I yeah. stepped out of the car after we got home from lunch, I just felt like I need to lie down immediately. And that's pretty much all I did for the next week or so. <laughs> No, it isn't right? funny. It's not funny. I'm not laughing at you. It's just that this was not what I envisioned for our holiday. No, no, uh, me either. Although we should have, given um, yes. recent history in me traveling to New Hampshire. But once again, I fell ill quite badly this time. I think the, <laughs> the worst yet. And it was our old friend COVID. Yes, come, come visit Grammy and get COVID. Yeah, um, that seems to be my habit. Um, the last time it happened, I was knocked out for a day, and we're not even sure it was COVID. But right. This this is the first time I have officially tested positive. They had to run the PCR. Oh, oh, is, to get is, a positive. This is the first time I didn't realize. First time it. ever. So you know, I thought that I've gotten it before, but it's it's always been not being sure. But this time we were sure. Eventually, um, yeah. Eventually, after after everybody had been in there to hug and kiss you. Well, and... yeah, I certainly noticed. You know, my um, I have a particular memory of lying in bed and you and Anna being in there, and my legs hurt so much. Mm. Um, oh boy, did they ever hurt! And I just remember you t- massaging my legs and trying to make me feel better. And then once we got word from the doctor that my PCR <laughs> test had come back positive for COVID, I could have been a room, in a room in the middle of the desert. And just everybody was gone. And of course, as well, they should be, but it was oh, a startling change. It was horrible. And then I thought, well, you know, I, I survived when Daddy, Anna, and Eve had it. Mm-hmm. And I survived you having it. And I'm starting to wonder if I'm immune to it, if that's possible. <laughs> because how can you be exposed to it so much and not ever get it? Well, I'm so glad that you and Dad didn't Me get too. sick. Me too, yeah. I really tried my hardest to uh, respect You were the a isolation. very good patient. I am especially glad Dad didn't get it. Yeah, me too. Me too. So I was uh, headed back. I finally mm. um, uh, passed the quarantine period, so uh, my family had flown back a few days earlier. I was fly- finally flying back, so I'm driving down to Boston, and I stop at McDonald's on the way <laughs> for my 
traditional Egg McMuffin. Uh, regular listeners of the podcast know that that is a, a vice of mine, the McDonald's breakfast. Um, and it was like 1045, oh. I didn't realize. So breakfast, breakfast was over, and I just got a quarter pounder because I was hungry. Yeah. And I ate it, and I was like, boy, this isn't as good as I remembered it being. Like, why did I even bother getting this unhealthy burger? Um, I don't even enjoy it. And then um, I get a meal on the flight, and um, I'm just like, this chicken tastes like cardboard. But <laughs> what do you expect? It's right. like an airline flight, you know? I get home, and I treated myself um, to a bottle of Clubman shampoo um, because the smell of it reminds me of the country oh, club I where I worked that. for many summers. I love um, that smell. I didn't know they made a shampoo. Where'd you get yeah. it? Yeah. Um, at the uh, uh, Mertz uh, apothecary oh, okay. shops right. here in Lincoln Square, Chicago. If you happen to live in Chicago, they have a beautiful selection of, of everything. Uh, such things. Um, and uh, I opened it up and I smelled it and I didn't get that wonderful <laughs> country club locker room smell that I was looking for. And that's when I realized, uh-oh, mm. I can't smell or taste anything, which is very common. We've all heard of this, yeah. but um, still, it was a little startling to experience it myself. I've tried not to think about it over the past couple weeks, because if you start to think about it, it does drive you a little crazy. Right, right. And you don't know when, like, everything you can read about it says, like, most people get it back within a month or so, but nobody knows, like, when it's going to come back. Right. And of course, there's always the little um, add-on, like, but for some people, the, yeah. the loss is permanent. Yeah. Uh, you know, thanks, Internet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I <laughs> I do feel like it's it's starting to come back now. So You know, I grew up with somebody whose brother had no sense of smell and, uh, you know, always never had a, a sense of smell mm. or taste and was very thin because eating really held no joy for him. So maybe that's a better weight loss thing to do than having everybody take Ozempic or, or oh. whatever that drug is. <laughs> right. Well, you'd think so, but um, two things have surprised me over the past couple of weeks. One is how often my wife asks me how things taste. Um, it's oh. It has driven me crazy. Every, uh, you know, we've been going out to dinner a bunch, I guess, because it's the holidays, and she's just always asking, how is it? How is, yeah. oh, how's the lasagna? Yeah. She asked me a couple <laughs> nights, how's that Whole Foods lasagna? And I have to keep saying to her, you know, I, what do you want me to say? Yeah. I don't really know how it is. It doesn't taste, oh, I forgot. Um, so that has driven me somewhat crazy, yeah. I'll say. Um, and uh, the other thing is that I can taste a little bit. Right, yeah, like just a, a little bit. I thought I would be losing weight because I have been forgetting to eat. Like I'm not really craving right. anything. I'm yeah. not. Um, so I'll find myself at the end of the day, like my stomach's rumbling, and I realize, oh right, I forgot to eat. Um, but when I do eat, I can't stop because I feel like uh, it's like I'm chasing the dragon. Yeah, you know, like yeah. I can just get a little bit of taste, and I just feel like, oh, that next bite is really going to taste like it. something. Yeah. So I haven't lost any weight and have probably gained a little weight because my actual eating is so, like, desperate. But you're testing right it. Now. You're testing it. That's why you're not losing I'm weight. I'm testing it, yeah. The magic um, testing. Um, 
but all in all, Christmas was quite wonderful. Um, <laughs> it was a little disjointed. Matt left about an hour. Matt came with his family uh, on Christmas Eve because they had plans for Christmas, which fell apart, but uh, Jade forgot to tell Matt. And so they were there on Christmas Eve, and he left before you got there. So once again, I do not have a picture of all four of my children. Because uh, even, what, in the summer, who was sick? You? Um, this summer? Not me. Nobody? But maybe, maybe Merrick. Somebody was. Somebody was sick. Anyway, don't have four children if you ever want a picture of all four of them. It'll never happen. Oh, I didn't know Matt was... Anyway, we don't need to hash it out, but I didn't know Matt was doing Christmas Eve. I thought everybody was going to be there for Christmas, which I did manage to show up for Christmas, just barely. Yes, you did. Uh, yeah, I found out on Tuesday. Matt's plans are always a little yeah. sudden. <laughs> Um, he's tough to nail he's down. He's tough to nail for sure. down, for sure. Uh, but anyway, uh, we tried to roll with it. One of the things that, that I do want to say uh, in my in my super, super um, orderliness of getting things baked, cookies baked and treats baked and mm-hmm. um, meals planned, uh, in the process, I left out the tenderloin and... I had to go and replace it. Um, at you left it out, meaning you you left it out of the refrigerator. You mean, yes, right? yes. Like you didn't leave it out, like forget it. No, no. You let it spoil. Well, I let it out of the refrigerator, and I wouldn't trust it to eat it after having been out Yeah. in the... Because I thought it was sweet potatoes. Anyway, uh, Daddy or somebody put it put the old tenderloin at the end of the driveway and as Jenna and I pulled in with the new tenderloin there was a young uh, bald eagle trying to lift the whole roast and fly away with it Uh, it was too heavy for him and the crows came and pecked at it all day all day long and the eagle sat in the trees watching Apparently, Jenna said he had had a run-in, she thinks, at some point with the crows who dive-bombed the eagle every time he tried to get near the roast. Oh, so that eagle who thought he had hit the Christmas jackpot instead just had to sit there sadly while the crows had their fill? You'd think he had no confidence, you know? Jenna thinks he had a bad experience with the crows. Well, there's a reason they call him a murder when they all get together, I guess. Uh, they were pretty fiercely guarding that um, that uh, meat. I really have to question the practice of putting rancid meat products out on your lawn. Well, I can't um, on... say that it was rancid. I wouldn't say that it was rancid. Uh-huh. I think maybe some people would have been very happy to eat it, but since I never want to be the person, that person that served something that sent everyone to the hospital, I got a new one. Yeah, that's a noble aspiration of yours. Uh, it is, because sure. I've heard of um, people that serve soup or whatever, and everybody ends up sick. 
Well, there was the carcass of a turkey and a bunch of shrimp out on the lawn on Christmas Day. Um, you know, some people put uh, inflatable Santas. Some people put up lights. Uh, for mom, it was a turkey carcass and spoiled shrimp. Well, it wasn't spoiled. Uh, the crows well, just don't know how to peel them. Uh, in any case, I come out um, on Christmas Day, and there's this dog uh, that runs onto the lawn and starts eating it. And I try to shoo him away, A, for any number of reasons, but mostly, like, I don't want the dog to get sick, which it surely will now. Um, it's just wolfing down the shrimp and picking at the turkey, and I'm, you know, shooing it, shooing it. And then this young woman um, comes around the corner and says, oh, 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 they, I should have kept him on a leash. Yeah. My, mom and, my mom and dad said he would be fine off leash. And I said, it's... Your mom said, and dad are with idiots. Me, but I don't want the dog to get sick and there's nothing I can do. And she finally corralled him. But, oh, there was some... That was going to be a very diarrhea Christmas oh, for that household. Oh, it was. It household. was. Keep your dog on a leash, people. Nobody wants to pick up your dog crap when they don't have their own dog. Thank you. That's a public service announcement. Well, that dog learned its lesson. Did he, though? I wonder. No, I don't think so. Dogs don't have the capacity to learn a lesson. Now, I have another story I want to tell you. Okay. The fence blew down. Right before. Yeah, we covered this last time on the... Okay. Yeah, I saw the fence being destroyed, um, but there's been new developments. There's been new developments. We got a card from the people that own that house. Uh, they wanted to... A card? A card, because they could not find uh, any con uh, information on contacting us. They didn't have any information on contacting us. Which I think is their own fault, because when you turn your house into an Airbnb, you should go to the neighbors and give them your contact information, should there be any issues. Just as a courtesy, I've stated this before. Yeah. So they sent me a card, and it had two email addresses on it, both of which were very odd. One of them has the name spelled out in three syllables with spaces in between and you know it's very odd like mm. he's the president and needs to have this protection of not getting and they have uh they put the phone numbers on there that go right to a voicemail service type thing oh really yeah yeah you called them then i called and gave them my phone number and they called from the car after Christmas on their way out of town, I'm going to assume, and they uh, offered to pay for half of a new fence. And um, I said, he said uh, the partner had found your podcast uh, uh -oh. <laughs> and liked it. <laughs> Uh, but I don't know what that means. You have several things online. And Surely I, it was Pop Mom, though. I don't have any other podcasts. Okay. So I hope they listen to all of it and they'll have their... Anyway, so we said we're not putting the fence back up. 
And uh, he said, oh. Why not? Huh? Why? Go ahead. Continue the story. Let them put a fence up if they want it. Um, And he kept saying, oh, okay, okay. All right. Um, And then I sent them a message. But I couldn't figure out one of them, uh, one of their email addresses. And I'll show it to you sometime because it's really has dots and all kinds of stuff in it. And uh, so I sent the to the other one and I said, the reason you don't have any contact information is because you never came over and talked to us. And, um, and that was the last uh-huh. I heard. So that's over with. But, you know, if I feel like if they want their fence, they should put one up. We had ours up for a number of years and they benefited from it. So put up your own fence now. Whew, it seems like you're being needlessly difficult with these people. Not needlessly. Yeah, no. there's no need. What? It, well, what would you do with neighbors that treated your neighborhood, your community like that, with no regard at all for you? I'd say, oh, it's nice to finally make contact with you. Um, <clears throat> you can come over and knock on our door anytime if you need to get in touch with us. We're almost always home. Well, they're never here. They they live in New York. Well, I, yeah, but when they're there, they can knock on your door, have a chat, right? Don't knock on my door. I don't want to chat with you. <laughs> okay. Well, we know one of them listens to the podcast, so I'm putting the message out there. Go knock on their door. They'll welcome you in. <laughs> you can have a nice chat about fences and everything else. So do you think they'll put a fence up, or do you think they'll just leave it? Mm. And is the fence still lying there on the lawn? Well, you can't see it now. It's under snow. Oh, God. It's on our lawn, so what do you care? Yeah, so, because it looks shabby. You can't Ah. even see it. It's under a foot of snow. The snow will melt. Well, we're going to move it then, Johnny. (laughs) I don't believe you. Well, of course we're going to. Could picture you leaving it there for years and years. No, I would never do that. I just need some strong people to come over. You know, Daddy's back won't allow it, so probably Merrick will have to. Maybe, maybe Brooke will have to move it. That's all. Good all Lord, right. you think we? You think we live like hillbillies around here? Well, I don't think. Oh, please. I just got finished telling multiple stories about spoiled, rancid, fetid, gross, disgusting meat sitting out on the front lawn. Welcome. This is people next door. You can come on and knock on mom and dad's door. Just step around the spoiled meat that will be littering the landscape. And don't mind the crows. They won't peck you too hard. Right? You're ridiculous. Yeah, you guys don't live like hillbillies. Ridiculous. You're ridiculous. All right. Let's um, seriously pay our respects to uh, an old friend, Kevin Drake, a neighbor who passed uh, over the holidays. I understand you attended his funeral recently. I did. Um, Oh, boy. It was a funeral-packed finish to 2023 for you, wasn't it? It really was. And, you know, uh, fortunately... They weren't my funerals, but 
Certainly, Rob was somebody that I was close to, my friend Jane's husband. He had his funeral at the Baptist Church in New London. And I'm going to say this was probably the closest thing, and I don't want a funeral, but this is the closest thing that I would accept if it had to happen. It was absolutely perfect. Wow. How so? It is a lovely little church, very unadorned and um, all white. And Is this the one next to Colby, Colby Sawyer yeah. College? Okay. Yeah. And they, uh, the man that came in is not a, was not a priest or a, uh, or he's just a spiritual helper. A guy came in and sat at the piano and played a bunch of somewhat modern songs, Nights in White Satin by the Moody Blues, and a bunch of songs like that. How do you describe those? I don't know. Uh, popular music. Popular yeah. music. Yeah. Not hymns, stuff not like that, hymns. you're saying, not church music. Exactly. Yeah. And the spiritual man, he told a little story about walking his property and finding a little bush that he was looking at what was he going to mow and not mow, and he decided he wasn't going to mow that down. And a number of years later, he went back, and it had grown and twined around other bushes and stuff and had grown into sort of a tree and in the crook of the tree was a bird's nest so he felt like he had done the right thing by not cutting it down etc etc and then the piano player played um in my life by the Beatles and that was it it was probably the most beautiful funeral I have ever attended. I'm delighted to hear that Kevin got a, a fitting, um, he really and did appropriately moving send off. He really did. It was just perfect. And then, have you ever been to a funeral where they serve food? I mean, I've been to whatever they call it afterwards. Yeah, whatever it is, where you get together. Yeah. Well, let me tell you. This is the first funeral that I ever went to where they served hot dogs. <laughs> what what a it was it was so perfect. They they had chicken wings and potato skins and um all different kinds of finger sandwiches and a big thing of hot dogs and it was incredible and when I asked um Jane, who did the food, she said that because Kevin was friends at uh, the three watering holes that we have right in the area, that they all chipped in and served the food, all three of them. Oh. They got together and planned the food and served it up. It was it was it was perfection. Oh, you're breaking my heart. That is so sweet. So you admired the simplicity, yes. the modesty, and the hot dogs. <laughs> Seems like that's what impressed you about this funeral, huh? Sounds good to me. <laughs> he loved hot dogs, I was told. He loved hot dogs. <laughs> 
As well, I want some Egg McMuffins when I go. Egg McMuffins <laughs> for all. So you just want to go off, like, everything smelling like a big fart. Well, I want everything to be done by 10.30 a.m. <laughs> when they Should stop we talk serving. about Henry Sugar? <laughs> That's right. Okay. Okay. Uh, Mom and I this week are talking about the wonderful story of Henry Sugar. Director Wes Anderson first adapted the work of author Roa Dahl with the 2009 stop-motion feature Fantastic Mr. Fox. Last year, Anderson returned to the Dahl Library with four films based on the writer's short stories, the most prominent of which was The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar, which retells the peculiar story of a man who learns to see things that the eye cannot. Scripted and directed by Anderson, the tale unfolds with his characteristic clockwork precision as scenery, costumes, and even full heads of hair are swapped out on screen in a beguiling choreography that exposes the layers of the cinematic story in much the same way Henry Sugar's talents expose the inner workings of the world to him. Benedict Cumberbatch stars in the title role with Rafe Fiennes, Dev Patel, Ben Kingsley, and others. Here's a clip. The living room of Henry's London flat, midnight. Henry shakes with excitement as for the first time he places a deck of cards upside down before him and concentrates on the top card. All he can see initially is the very ordinary design of thin red lines on the back, perhaps the most common playing card design in the world. He now shifts his concentration from the pattern itself to the other side of the card. He focuses with great intensity upon the invisible underneath of the card. 30 seconds elapse, one minute, two minutes, three minutes. Henry doesn't move a muscle. His now highly developed concentration is absolute. He visualizes the reverse of the playing card. No other thought of any kind is permitted to enter his mind. During the fourth minute, something starts to happen. Slowly, magically, but distinctly, a black blob becomes a spade. A twisty squiggle becomes a five. The five of spades. Fingers quivering, he picks up the card and turns it over. <gasps> I've done it, he says. Henry becomes a fanatic. He never leaves his flat except to buy food and drink. All day and often far into the night, he crouches over the cards with the stopwatch beside him, reducing his time second by second. Within a month, he's down to a minute and a half. Six months, 20 seconds. Seven more months, 10 seconds flat. His target is five. He knows that unless he can read through a card in a maximum of five seconds, he won't be able to work the casino successfully. Yet the nearer he gets to his target, the more difficult it becomes to reach it. The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar is available on Netflix. Mom, did Henry Sugar come up aces, or did Wes Anderson drop a deuce? Uh, I'm going to come up someplace in the middle. Okay, like a ten of hearts type situation. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I Yeah, tell me. I loved the minimalist uh, scene scenes and as they interchanged with each other uh with little dashes of color i was very taken with that um and really really enjoyed the cleverness of the changing of the scenery and the changing of little features on their faces and such uh i just thought that was so inventive and so satisfying and fun all those things mm -hmm. i was very distracted by which by the manner in which the dialogue was presented i i was very tense it made me feel very anxious 
much of the story is told in direct address um, and as if the characters themselves are reading you the story. Right. Um, and uh, in particular, I was put off, I don't know if that's the right word for it, but put off in a way by um, Dev Patel, who would deliver lines like, where are you going now, I said. Right. Right. And and he sort of looks toward the camera very briefly. You know, it's there's a mannerism associated with him uh, pending, I said, to his own dialogue that he's just spoken. Um, and <clears throat> I admire it. I don't love it. Right. And I want to love it. <clears throat> I want um, to love it, too. As I loved the original story and so much of Roa Dahl's work, and as I love Wes Anderson's work right. quite often... Um, I could not, I've watched this twice now, okay. and I could not get myself to love it. Um, it there is, there's a chilliness to it, and there's a chilliness to it from the get-go. We begin with uh, Ray Fiennes as Roa Dahl, yeah. um, talking about his story and setting up his writing space in a shed that feels cold. There's an electric heater that sort of snaps on and off um, to uh, make you feel the chilliness of this shed. And the chilliness never entirely goes away for me. It's not a particularly warm story, but I do feel that Wes Anderson's treatment of it has made it even more um, remote and um, prim in a way that it... <laughs> didn't need to be. So I, I'm with you. I I really, I like that we can see the screen slide in and the um, projected background come in behind Ray Fiennes as he's quote unquote driving down the lane or what have you. Um, but I just never was drawn to the story right. in the way that I was when I originally read it, which was many years ago now. Yeah. But yeah. I certainly always remembered um, this story it's a great one it is a very interesting story and of course i do love uh doll's writing um it's very uh inviting and i uh, and i do love it but this this was uh my first impression was this is a really really well done uh high school production of <laughs> Because the characters were very not not um, available. Yeah. The performances are standoffish almost um, in the distance that they maintain from the um, from the viewer. it's it's a, a film that's assiduous in its lack of intimacy. It really kept you. Uh, an arm's length away. Why do you why do you think there was that spin on it? Yeah, I have it's a good question and I have wondered about it. In a way it suits the character who is himself remote and uh, it's a story about his spiritual growth um which is 
undertaken doggedly. He works very hard, uh, but he doesn't really work hard at the spiritual growth. That just sort of happens to him. You know, there's even a reference in the story that uh, that also makes its way into the film about this being a real story and not so it doesn't have a just so tidy ending. And I think that's part of it, that it's not a Hallmark story and it's not a lot of hugging um, and sweetness, although there is a bit of sweetness to the story and there is some genuine spiritual growth. Mm -hmm. Um, But the character is not a terribly likable one, so it suits the character in a way. It's... I am not looking for it to be a terribly warm story, and yet it leaves me too cold. Yes. I don't know why. I don't know that it had to be so unrelenting um, in its chilliness. And I was looking for, at the beginning, I was looking for who is the one character that that I'm going to relate to, and then I can uh, cast mm. off from that that person and envelop, you know, the story in my arms and come away happy. Well, the only character who betrays much in the way of emotion is Rafe Fine's policeman, who is a character who appears quite briefly to scold Henry Sugar um, for giving his money away so irresponsibly. Right, right. Um, he shows some actual anger and there's some emotion in that performance. Um, but all the other performances are really closed off, including the other performances by Ray Fiennes. Um, they all play multiple characters. Um, yeah, there's just, relating is not, you're going to have to put that away. You know, if you want to relate, you will have to put that away a little bit, um, when you watch, uh, this film, which I encourage you to watch. Like, I don't, this isn't a total pan, even though we are complaining about it a lot. Um, But uh, you will not have that experience, I don't think, of really relating to the characters. And it's quite intentional about that. He achieved what he set out to achieve. I just don't see why he had to set out to do that to the exclusion of some point of purchase for us emotionally. Well, I, and I always wonder, was that the point so that we would talk about that? Is that what he's... Because uh, no thank you, Wes. <laughs> um, it reminds me um, a little bit of the Steve Zissou movie, Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Oh, my um, God, yeah. <clears throat> Which I enjoy, but it it probably is among my least favorite Wes Anderson works. And uh, it's another um, movie populated by uh, characters that are hard to access. And that seems to be part of the point. And I think he was quite content to make that movie like that. And I, I mean... I think he knows what he's doing. Like, I don't think he made any mistakes right. here. And um, right. so I am confident that it came out the way he intended. Um, it, uh, I should reread the original story yeah, and I'm see going if to it leaves that. me with that same feeling of remoteness um, and uh, somewhat unsatisfied. Yeah. And again, as I say, I just got more and more tense and anxious as it went on. Uh, I really wanted to take a bite out of something and there was nothing to be had so i did enjoy the look of everything and the cleverness but the story itself was uh you know left me a little sad 
There is a moment in the story where Henry has to decide what a picture he's going to try to envision in his mind and to focus on as part of his yogi training. Um, and the uh, doctor who untook, undertook this journey before him chose to focus on a picture of his uh, late brother um, because he wanted to focus on the person he loved most in the world. Right. And uh, Henry decides to um, focus on the person he loves most in the world, which is a picture of himself. This is a moment that I recall from the original story that is played for comedy. And I don't mean played up. You yeah, know, like, yeah. woo, you know, yeah. it's not like uh, <laughs> Doll puts a bunch of zingers in there, but it's a moment that exists for comedy. Um, and it, clearly it exists for such in the film, too. And yet it's played so, again, in, in such chilly fashion that I didn't even laugh. Um, <laughs> I didn't even feel the urge to laugh. It's very matter of fact about this. Um, and, you know, Doll was funny. Oh yeah, um, and I, I feel like the um, that embroidery thread of comedy um, was just doled out too much in this adaptation. Mm. Doled out or doled out? Dulled is what I okay. said. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think he doled out no. much comedy at all. No, no, I don't either. Um, I think uh, I was just trying to grasp at something most of the way through. Until, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then it was over. And then it was over. So yeah, it was a, it was an odd little thing, uh, pleasing to look at, but odd. Um, have you watched any of the other ones? Did you go on to any of the three others that he made? No, because I didn't know there were three others. There are three others. They're shorter. Um, uh, they're even more severe than this one. Oh. I'll warn you. Um, but. Because um, Mr. Fox was wonderful. Mr. Fox, I love, I think I've seen that movie four or five times. I love yeah. Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah. I mean, I love so many Wes Anderson movies, including a couple that most people don't like. But um, yeah, this was, this. I guess this was just not it for us. And it pains me to admit it, as the listeners can probably detect. But yeah. But maybe it is for someone else. Maybe... Maybe it'll be just the ticket for someone else well, who, so who well is not crafted. as deep as us. <laughs> yeah. So if you have less taste than us, go nuts. <laughs> That's what mom's saying. Um, all right, mom, this might be a little bit of a tough one, but what is your grade for the wonderful story of Henry Sugar? Well, I'm going to give it a B because it was trying to say something. Wow. And I'm going to just go on the assumption that I didn't get it. <laughs> no, we never go on that assumption. Well, no, that's no, what no. I'm going on this time. That's... It's a new year. You have to move on. <laughs> Otherwise, I would give it a C. I feel like B minus, but the difference. Yes. You're, you're sounding like a B minus okay. to me, frankly. I didn't yeah. want to say B minus because I was trying to stick to whole letters, but I'll go with B minus. <laughs> okay, we'll cheat. Uh, that's funny. I used to, um, at the AV club, we had the letter grades, and we didn't have A+, which was a, um, an occasional uh, point of furor among the readers <laughs> for stupid reasons. But it went A all the way down to F, and all the pluses and minuses in between. When I was editor, um, I used to say to the critics, who didn't listen to me, but I would say, please 
no D pluses or D minuses. Um, I, I said a D plus is just the most backhanded, mm. like, what? why even put the plus in there? Oh, because you, you liked one thing about it. Like, a D is a D, and a D minus, you might as well just give it an F at that point. Right. You're just being a little right. snot either way, I felt. So I tried to eliminate at least the D plus and the D minus because I thought they were both useless. And, you know, nobody listened to me. That's <laughs> that's fine. But, yeah, the the half grades can get a little precious. Yes. Yes. That, I agree with you. But I will be so precious and assign a letter grade of, for those of you who keep track, maybe there's somebody with a pop mom spreadsheet out there. I don't know how they handle the A triple pluses and the whoops and clangs, but we got an easy one for you this week. That's a B minus. Uh, mom, you have no recommendation for us. I this have week. none because right? I just read a bunch of crap over Christmas and I really wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. I read. Uh, Craft books, magazines, just just nothing, nothing of uh, any importance to anyone. So I don't have a recommendation. Um, I do. I did TiVo some sitcoms to watch, and after watching uh, fifty four episodes of Friends, <laughs> I realized uh, it was time to turn the TV off. For a couple of days, so I haven't even been watching TV. Um, friends, friends, yeah. Uh, um, well, luckily, I got a little help for you, Mom. Okay. First, in the form of an email, let's dip into the mailbag. Uh, we got an email from Jan M, longtime listener. She writes, I think you would like Star Girl by Jerry Spinelli since you enjoyed some young adult fiction. My teacher friend read it with her sixth graders, and then we read it in our book club. It's a charming story. So we're passing that along to the listeners. Mom may recommend that herself in weeks to come. But I that's got it Star at the Girl. library today. Oh, you already got it. Yep. Thanks to Jan's recommendation. Yep. Oh, there you go. Jan, you made a difference in this world. You made Mom get a book out from the library. That's Star Girl. By Jerry Spinelli. I assume, unlike Mom, Jan got the title of the book right. Oh, my God. You make one mistake. Uh, and I, uh, over the um, holidays, read a lot of a gift that I supposedly got from my wife and then basically just <laughs> took back for myself. Um, it's A Carnival of Snackery by David Sedaris. You know, I was in the bookstore looking for one last um, uh, present, for my wife, because I had noticed that there were three presents under the tree for me, uh -oh. and I only had one, so I needed to fill it out a little bit. And I picked up this uh, book by David Sedaris, who we all know by now, um, and it's another collection of diary entries spanning about 20 oh, years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Oh, I just love it. It's a carnival of snackery because each entry is pretty bite-sized. The longest ones, uh, which are rare, span two or three pages, but a lot of them are just a paragraph or two, maybe a joke he heard or some funny interaction that he saw. Oh, you know, in my COVID fog, this really hit the spot. Oh, Did that is great. That's didn't re great. require my attention for too long yep. with any yep. individual scene, but it kept making me laugh. So, um, again, I think David Sedaris is a pretty known quantity to most people by, by now, but I will say that I really loved uh, and continue to love A Carnival of Snackery. 
Okay, so we uh, we managed to recommend something to the listeners with a little help from Jan. Uh, there you have it. That'll do it for this edition of Pop Mom. This episode of the podcast was edited by Scott Jones. Now, Scott told me he's been editing out my mention of him. Never again, Scott. Oh, no. Never edit out your mention. We are no. so grateful for Scott's editing help. It has made the podcast possible again. Thank you, Scott. We salute you, and a happy new year to you as well. Yes. Mom and I will be back next week to talk about more pop culture. Oh, what should we talk about, Mom? Any well, ideas? I, I'm pretty prepared for this. I have written here something interesting. Something interesting. That'll do. And you know, I don't actually know what that something interesting will be. I have a couple ideas. Scott had an interesting idea that I have to share with you. We'll see. So that'll be a surprise next week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy the show, of course, tell your friends. We love to get email, too. It's popmom at ological. Net. Talk to us about anything. We love you. Mom and I will talk to you again next week. Bye for now, Mom. Bye, Johnny. I love you. Love you, too.